Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Bob Beery from uh, Bob Beery Multifamily Advisors. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ram. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Sure. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. So, would you share a little bit more about yourself, Bob? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I'm a multifamily broker uh, in Florida. I cover the northern half of Florida. So from like Lakeland, Winter Haven area, all the way north to Tallahassee and Jacksonville and everything in between. Um, I cover anything over 10 units. Most of the deals I do are between 20 and 250 units. I cover conventional apartments and student housing apartments. I've been in Florida my whole life, born and raised here. I know these markets like the back of my hand. My background was I, um, I have a degree in marketing and a master's degree in real estate from University of Florida. I worked for an, a development investor for the first 10 years of my career. I broker, managed, and did acquisitions on multifamily, office, retail, industrial, just kind of a generalist, right? And then uh, around 2010 or 11, I went all in and concentrated on just multifamily. I acquired a Coal Banker commercial franchise. I owned that for 10 years with a couple of partners. We had a lot of agents. I just did multifamily brokerage. And then in 2020, I broke off and just kind of started my own boutique multifamily investment firm, which is the Multifamily Advisors. So that's it. That's the scoop. Awesome. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and from marketing point of view, what kind of market analysis you would perform? So you mean as I, if you mean like when a seller calls me and wants to list something with me, how do I come up with the valuation? Yes. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've done a lot of research on this and polling, and I think it's important to understand as a broker, how investors underwrite, because that's how I want to underwrite. I want to underwrite an asset the exact way the investors and their lenders will so that I could price it right. And what I have found is that, you know, nobody uses cap rates, right? Cap rates is just a term that is, is an easy, lazy way to try to identify what the trailing NOI is. But the trailing NOI is not something any buyer will ever experience in their entire lives. It is what the previous guy went after. When I'm underwriting an asset and pricing it to go to market, I'm concentrating, among other things, three main components. I'm solving for cash on cash return. And in my polling of hundreds of investors, most investors want a minimum 6% cash on cash return right now. And they want to achieve that within two years. The second component is IRR. The minimum IRR most investors want is around 15%. Sometimes it goes below that for nationals or REITs, but about 15%. And the third component is the equity multiple, right? If you put in a million dollars, you want to pull out $2 million at the end of the sale period. So my models will take, you know, sort of year zero expenses, if you will, 
I will correct them for the new buyer, meaning I'm going to adjust property taxes. I'm going to get a new insurance quote. If the current owner self-manages, I'm going to go out and get what the market management fee is. And then for income, I'm going to look at rent comps. And I've got you know every rent comp you can possibly imagine and up-to-date information. So I can get pretty good at what I believe rents could go to on a renovated product. And so I usually create anywhere from five to seven year models looking into the future with what the rents could get to. And usually I use about a 24 month renovation program and use rent comps and I extrapolate everything else, everything out. And I'm solving for cash on cash, IRR and equity multiple. And I just keep playing with the price in my Excel spreadsheet until those three things are in equilibrium. Now, for instance, if I have an asset that is, you know, class A, it's built in the last 10 years, doesn't need much renovation to it at all. It's really singing along pretty good. And it's just, it's, you know, it's got 3% historical vacancy or less. It's an asset that everybody would love to have, right? Even though it doesn't have a whole lot of value add, it's still a nice, easy B plus or better play. Then I may be more aggressive. I may be in that 6% you know, five, 6% cash on cash range, 13 to 16% IRR. You know, I try to get close to that two equity multiple. If it's a little bit more involved property, let's say more of a traditional value add, you got to spend eight to $10,000 a unit on, on renovations. It's in the pathway of development, but it's not super hopping yet, but it's a good location. It's called a B minus B location. Um, you know, there's going to be some more intensity to get to a good return, then I may have a six to 8% cash on cash return by year two or three. I may have in there 16 to 20% IRR. I may have a little bit more of a 2.0 equity multiple. So it just depends on the intensity of the asset on how I do that, but it's all pretty darn close and I'm always spot on, right? I mean, it's, it's not just me. It's, brokers, you know, we get to see lots and lots of transactions. We see lots of iterations. We know what these things go for. We know how buyers and their lenders underwrite, and we want to sell the asset. We don't get paid till we, till we sell. So it doesn't behoove us to overprice something or get out too far out of line. Now, buyers may think that every deal that comes to market from a broker is overpriced, the reality is it's overpriced to you, but they all sell, right? Or damn near all of them sell. And so if they all sell, that is the market price. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Yeah. Sure. And so what's your underwriting guidelines in current market situations uh, due to like in inflation or interest rate, higher interest rates? What I have found is that I think it was, um, I, wanted, I, had to, I did a poll on this, so I'm going off memory, but about 25 or 30% of investors are using a 5.25 to 5.5% exit cap rate, and about 50% or more of investors are using a 5.5% exit cap rate. Now, that's just one thing, you know. Every property is different, right? I mean, that's that is a that is a poll that I did with hundreds of respondents on the investment side, and gives no credence whatsoever to the quality of the asset or where it is, right? 
If it's an A-class asset that everybody wants and it has value add and it's a tremendous asset, they may be underwriting it less than 5%, right? It just depends on the asset. In addition, what I have found through polling all of these investors is that 95% of investors have control over when they sell. So even though in a poll they said they're using five and a quarter to five and a half percent or more on exit cap rates, technically that makes no sense if they have control of when they sell. If you have control of when you sell in the future, then wouldn't you sell in the best exit cap rate environment? meaning four, four and a half, five, five and a half percent. And it may take you three years, five years, 10 years to be back to that market, but people have to put in some sort of exit cap rate in order to show their investors, you know, sort of a worst case scenario, right? So I get that. On the vacancy side, still most folks are using a 5% vacancy factor because that's what most of their lenders are using. If it's a tremendous asset, let's say it's walking distance to campus on student housing, I've seen some lenders go as low as 3%, even though many of these properties operate at 1% and 2% vacancy. Property taxes, everyone's still using an 80% assessment, unless it's a portfolio. If it's a portfolio sale and you're buying two or more assets, especially in different markets, then that valuation is usually done a lot differently, right? It's, it's not, and, and by the way, taxing authorities don't go after 80%. They create an income statement and get to an NOI and divide by cap rates and they shoot for 80 to 85%, but they still have to justify it by an income statement. When it's a portfolio transaction, it is a disqualified transaction to the tax assessor. So they're not as, required by the Department of Revenue to go after 80 or 85%. So portfolio purchases have, have advantages. Um, on the management side, you know, they're going to, if the current manager is a good management group, they're going to want to talk to that management group about what management fees will look like afterward. Insurance, everyone's getting an up-to-date quote. I mean, doesn't matter what the in-place insurance is. That in-place insurance nowadays is probably going to be a good bit lower than what a new insurance rate is. That's how fast those things are moving. Repairs and, and maintenance, those usually don't change too much. Now, an investor, what I'm seeing is they'll look at existing, but they'll look at how it compares to their portfolio, right? And so they're, they, look for more, they look for ways how they can operate that asset better. In addition, they, they tend to try to pull out as much CapEx out of repairs and maintenance as possible so that it doesn't penalize their NOI when they're assessing it. Because buyers are still wanting to win these assets. You're not going to want to front load your operating expenses with CapEx, which will lower your NOI and make your offer lower, right? Because the seller don't care, doesn't care what you do on your pro forma. They only care what your offer is. Contract services, you know, which are pool maintenance and HVAC maintenance and lawn mowing and all that stuff. Usually that doesn't change much, right? I mean, you might be able to save a couple bucks here and there, but between repairs and maintenance and contract services, those are usually not big numbers that change very much. Administrative expenses don't change much. It's usually, you know, a hundred to $250 a unit per year. It's not a big number. Marketing's not a big number. That's about 100, 150 bucks a unit. 
Let's see, what's another one? CapEx, most lenders and investors are still using anywhere from $300 to $500 a unit a year. And they're, you know, they're, if it needs immediate things like a roof, right, they're not going to front load that. They're going to basically kind of see that as almost an increase in purchase price, right? In other words, instead of budgeting it forwarding over a 10-year period, if you buy it in year zero, it has less of an effect over time. That's about it. Yeah, got it. Yeah, thank you. It's a long answer, yeah. but thank you for a <laughs> no detailed problem. explanation. Uh, this is from you know investors' uh, buyer's point of view. When there is multiple offer situation, how exactly, what exactly they need to do to win the deals? Yeah, great question. Get asked that a lot. Um, number one, if you aren't known to the listing broker, I would make sure that they have in their hands a bio package from you. They want to know, like this listing broker needs to sell you to the seller, right? And if they don't know who you are, they don't know how to sell you, right? They, you know, it doesn't matter how good your offer is. If you're not someone who's known for closing, it's going to be difficult. So create a bio package. Tell a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in the business, Make a list of the assets that you own, number of units, put the addresses. Letters of recommendation are probably the number one thing you can do. Letters of recommendation from brokers, from lenders, and from other sellers. Because this is a very small, small world. Small number of owners own all these assets, and most of us know each other. I know just about every broker in my markets. I know a lot of the lenders who handle all these transactions. I know all 900 and something in owners that own all the investments in the northern half of Florida, right? So when you put a letter of recommendation, that's someone who I can call and say, hey, how was Rama to deal with on that transaction you did with him, right? It's a big deal. So that's the main thing is you want to provide supporting evidence to that broker that you're someone who's going to show up to closing, right? In terms of offer terms, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. We got a whole separate podcast we can go into, but there's a lot of trigger points that sellers don't like to see in letters of intent. They don't like to see LOIs that are too long. If you've got a five-page LOI, okay, it makes it harder to do a deal with you, right? If you've got you know longer than normal due diligence periods and closing periods, if you've got lots of closing extensions, sellers don't like that. You know, it's just... You're trying to win the deal and make it easy for the seller to choose you. Got it. Yeah, totally makes sense. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, and what are the lessons you learned from uh, doing like a lot of deals? Yeah, I would say the, the, the biggest thing I deal with is, is probably a lack of empathy from buyers and sellers. Meaning, you know, when you, uh, you know, from, from the start of turning in a letter of intent to going to contract to doing due diligence and closing period, there's a lot of people involved in a transaction that are watching the way you operate. And all these people are connected to other people in the industry. And you're either going to do things right or you're going to do things wrong because anything in the middle basically is wrong. And they're going to spread the word about you. And over time, those things multiply so that when you go to turn an offer, that broker has heard things about you from, you know, sellers, brokers, attorneys, you know, due diligence people, property managers. They've watched you do little odd things during a transaction that lowered your reputation and you don't get chosen. And no one tells you about this. No one says, hey, Rama, by the way, 
you didn't get chosen on this deal because I heard what you did two transactions ago with so-and-so, right? So when you're going through a transaction, use empathy. Be thinking about how the other party is perceiving you. For instance, let's say you turn in a you you won a deal, you turned in a purchase and sale agreement, and the seller redlines a few things. Rather than blowing up and start saying things like, I can't believe he redlined that part of the that part of my contract. I've done 5,000 transactions in my life. I've never had any seller in my entire life ever redline that ever, ever, ever. He's ridiculous. He's an idiot. You know, and you're telling all this to your, to your guys, to your broker, right? You just, you're making it easy to not do a deal with you. You're making it easy to choose the next guy in line. Instead, think about, okay, why did he strike through that in the contract? Well, maybe he's probably concerned about this. So let's let me talk to the broker. Maybe let's get a conference call with the seller. Let's, let's confirm that that's his concern on this. And let's work together to kind of figure out, even though I think that's kind of crazy, let me as a buyer try to alleviate that concern for him. Empathy, if you can figure out how to put the seller hat on or how to put the buyer hat on, that solves so many issues. Awesome. Cool. So would you share any, any of your best real estate transaction experience so far? I would say I, I sold a 12-story a apartment tower in Gainesville. I think it was last year. It wasn't a big deal. It was uh, $11.5, $12 million. But what was, what was so fun to me is that it is an iconic asset that was built in the 19, early 1960s. It was owned by the same family that entire time, 60 years had tremendous value add. It was completely vacant. And I know that that owner, because it was such a prime asset, got called by dozens and dozens of brokers every week, every month for years, right? And I was chosen for the assignment and we hit a home run on it. And the buyer is a fantastic buyer who was just a tremendous gentleman with high, high reputation that went all the way through, closed ahead of time, they're going to do awesome things for that asset. They're already in construction to do things. The seller is happy and has a lot of pride. They're looking forward to seeing how their asset that they own for 60 years turns out. And so it's just a cool story where everyone worked great together. The transaction went well. It was an iconic asset. It's one that I'm going to get to look at hopefully for another 60 years. It's one that I called on myself you know, for probably... 10 or 15 years trying to win that asset. And so it's just nice to see everything come to culmination. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great experience. So would you also share any like challenging or bad experience? Yeah. I actually personally bought in Jacksonville. This is probably 15 years ago. I had bought a commercial real estate asset that I knew had some contamination on it because it had some state-operated vacuums on it. And I met with the city and they confirmed it had some contamination. It was under the state cleanup program. So we moved forward. I didn't do a phase one environmental, big mistake, right? I, and I didn't do one to my defense because I already knew it had a cleanup program and it was covered by the state. So we buy the asset, we close on the asset, and I start getting letters from the Department of Environmental Protection 
about a leak. And I read up on it and it's a second leak that had been there for years and years and years that city officials never told me about during my sit down with me. They confirmed the cleanup I came to them about, but then never told me about the second cleanup. And that's a governmental authority who never told me about the second cleanup. So about $150,000 and 10 years of cleanup later, I finally got the property clean, good, made a bunch of money on it on a sale, ended up being a happy story, but it was 10 years of some pretty damn uncomfortable monthly letters, monthly action that needed to be taken to get the property clean. And so you think to yourself, I cannot believe an organization like that said nothing. So always do a phase one. I don't care what you think you know about environmental that exists. Um, get it done. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. <laughs> Gives me nightmares still. <laughs> and what, what is your current focus, Bo? Um, I got a couple things going on. Number one, you know, the market is in, a, is in an odd period, right? So my, my current focus is to provide stability to investors, to, to provide um, confidence that, you know, multifamily is, is just the absolute asset class of the future, well into the future for, for a myriad of, of reasons. But we're in an odd period right now, right? So we, we have a period where interest rates have gone up quite a bit. They're going to keep going up some more. Uh, probably to a more normal level. I think the 3% interest rate was was Disneyland, right? I mean, that's that just doesn't happen. And and truly 5 to 6% interest rates is probably more of a normal market that may be here for a little bit. Some think it will go back into the 4% world once things, you know, if, if things change politically, if things change from an inflation standpoint in order to curb it back. But we're in a weird period where interest rates have gone up. Buyers are expecting values to have adjusted. Meanwhile, sellers, while they understand interest rates have gone up, and theoretically that means values would come down, they're earning more rent than they've ever earned in their entire lives, right? Their rents have gone skyrocket. And so we have this odd period where sellers don't need to sell. And if they did sell, they don't necessarily think they need to sell below late 2021 values unless they feel like this interest rate environment is here to stay moving forward, right? In which case we're in a new reality, which is, which is by the way, still a fantastic reality. I mean, five to six percent interest rates are still incredible. And with, with, when is, with increasing rents, within a year and a half to two years, those rents have compensated for any uh, rise in interest rates. Right. So I think we're just going to have an odd period for the next six to 12 months where I believe interest rates will come back down a little bit some and or the rent increases will have compensated for any um, adjustment in value that sellers may have had in their minds from late 2021. Yeah, got it. And any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Yeah, I think it's um, I'm, I'm super consistent at doing the successful things over and over again, monotonous, monotonously without getting bored, right? And, and that's key because what happens is, you know, I watch a lot of investors who will, who will do the th same things right over and over again so well that they start 
looking at other asset classes. They start looking at other businesses. They start getting diverted, right, from, from, uh, from their main core business. Um, I have found the right things to do in my brokerage business. I've been doing this now over 20 years. I, I have a certain schedule that I do every day. I do the same things at the same times every single day, seven days a week. And I just keep repeating them and repeating them. And sometimes I try new things to better my, my systems. And if they produce a result, I'll incorporate them. But I mainly just do the same things over and over again. And that, that seems to be pretty key. Cool, cool. And any books that impacted your life and what way? Yeah. I mean, first of all, to self-plug, I wrote this book, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate, which is a very popular book. Um, it sold thousands and thousands of copies. And that book is all about um, me having watched the most elite investors in the world over the last 20 years and how they do so many more transactions over a long period of time than the average investor. That book is like an inside look at how sellers are choosing buyers, right? And how you want to be that kind of buyer. Other books that have been really good for me are Deep Work um, by Cal Newton. It's a fantastic book about doing the number one most important thing in the world, first thing in the morning and, and how you can do that. How to Win Friends is obviously a great one. Um, Mr. Schmooze is an awesome book wrote, wrote by or uh, written by another broker about how he has become sort of an elite broker that so many choose, that so many investors choose. And that book can be flipped to becoming, you know, the best investor around. Uh, so those are kind of my, those are my sort of my top choices. I like those a lot. Awesome. Awesome. And how can a listeners can connect with you? Yeah. Three ways. Um, number one, my website is bobeery.com, B-E-A-U-B-E-E-R-Y. And whether you invest in Florida or not, the reason you want to visit my website is if you go on my landing page, you'll see all kinds of, of incredible stats on my markets. If you click on resources at the top, I have templates, I have guides, I have Q&As, I have all the polls I've been doing, but you'll also see all the markets I cover. And even though you may not invest in some of those markets, you want to look at some of the stats I have on those markets. And if you can master those stats in your markets, You'll, be, you'll do an incredible job um, picking up investments. The second way you can reach me is my YouTube channel, Bo Knows Multifamily. I cover all kinds of stuff for both the beginning investors and advanced level investors. Um, and then, of course, pick up my book, Multifamily Investors Who Dominate. It's on Amazon in hardcover. It's on Audible and it's on Kindle. Awesome. And thank you very much, Bo. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, Rama. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.